Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, this last uh, uh, year, at the end of the year, I released my first book, and uh, the title of that book is called The Art of Sonship, and uh, it is about King David and his 20 sons, and uh, it's about the fact that of those 20, why did I get a whoop for 20 sons? <laughs> Somebody's Roman Catholic in here, right? Uh, <laughs> like, whoop. But uh, it's, uh, it's about King David and his 20 sons, and then talks about the one that reigned, that truly reigned, and it's about actually the choices we make as sons and daughters of God, and uh, the choices that we make to either walk in our destiny or not walk in our destiny. And uh, tonight we do have, I believe that we've got the audio book and the e-book, so you can get both of those. Uh, to be honest with you, I was in Indonesia before I came here. I had boxes of books. I, they told me nobody spoke English at the churches that I was at, but they bought all my books. And so um, I do have a, a couple things back there, we'd love for you to get one. Who would like one of these? Anybody would like one of these? Great. Right after the service, there is a <laughs> counter that you could get them at, and we would love to be a blessing. In fact, um, all the proceeds towards the audiobook and the ebooks go towards feeding hungry children. Um, I have three hungry children that are here tonight, <laughs> and so that would be awesome. But um, the story that I go into is the life of David and his 20 sons. Romans chapter 8 verse 19 says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What a powerful scripture verse. Um, creation isn't waiting in the United States for the correct political system to finally weigh in and be right. All creation isn't waiting uh, in a sense for uh, the, the, the right political person or party, but all creation is waiting for and longing for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. And uh, God just began to really give me a revelation of David and his sons and the choices that they had, whether it was Amnon who dealt with lust but never had a crucial conversation with his dad that would have actually saved him. Because if there was anybody that could have ever told Ammon how to overcome lust, it was actually his dad, David, who had had an episode with Bathsheba and he could have saved Ammon's life and could have, Ammon could have been the next king of Israel if he would have just had a crucial conversation. We look at Absalom, who is um, one, of, uh, one of David's other sons. And most of us have heard the name Absalom. If we've been in church long enough, anybody that leaves, we usually say, has an Absalom spirit, right? And, uh, but what's tragic about Absalom is his name actually meant peace. Prophetically, Absalom in the Hebrew meant that his name prophetically meant peace. Yet he is known for eternity as the rebellious son. And how many times do we know people 
that their prophetic future is so much greater than what they settle for because somewhere along the way they let bitterness get in and it keeps them from their full purpose and destiny. Come on, anybody ever met somebody like that? Somebody that's not in God's house today that is ashamed because they had all the potential, all the future, but somehow let bitterness get in. If you don't look at Absalom uh, or, or, or Amnon, you can look at Adonijah, you can look at Daniel, you can look at uh, other of the sons uh, and, and look at the sons that were named uh, but never did anything. How could you be a king of David and ha a son of David, have your name listed in the genealogy and never amount to anything more than a name? Yet in the kingdom of God, we've got people that simply attend church but never get a hold of the spirit that God has in that house and become the giant killers. Come on, the worship leaders, the church builders that God has called them to be. And the Bible always says that Elisha did more than Elijah. Come on, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a God of multi-generations. How was there 13 sons that never amounted to anything? And so we go through that. I don't want to go through all the uh, sons tonight because we don't have enough time and because I want you to buy my book. And so, uh, 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 but I do want to talk about my journey just for a second and um, it was funny we were talking to the young adults uh, on Saturday and um, if you heard Rachel preach today or you heard me speak today and you hear that we live in Los Angeles and that we're uh, from California there's there's this kind of uh, mindset that sometimes just thinks oh it, don't they have everything good they're living by the beach in California but how many of you know most of the times the people next to you have a better uh, a greater story than we even know that's happened in their life how many of you know the person that you're sitting next to is probably a miracle that there shouldn't be here tonight. How many people would say, if not for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be here tonight? One person. That's amazing. The rest of you were born saints. Come on. Anybody say, come on, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. And so uh, this morning, um, uh, I told a little bit of my testimony. Um, I was actually abandoned at nine months old. My parents, uh, Robert Anders and Diane Anders, Diane was uh, 17 years old when she got pregnant with me. And uh, there was a rule in the United States just a few years before I was born that said abortion was legal. And she had an option to either abort me or to have me. And uh, by God's grace, she decided that she would have me, but she did not have the skills and she did not have uh, necessarily uh, uh, the coping mechanism to stop doing drugs. So while she was pregnant with me, she continued to shoot heroin. And when I was born, I actually went through heroin withdrawals when I was born. Some of you are like, that explains a lot. Uh, and, uh, but uh, that's what, what I was born, addicted to drugs. And at nine months old, my parents got busted for drugs and got thrown into jail and I was uh, delivered by, I, we don't even know who it was, but somebody knocked on the door of Ruth and Victor Campbell and said, hey, here is Israel. His parents got busted for drugs. We don't know what to do. You take him. And at that time, all I had to my name 
was a bottle filled with Coca-Cola, and they said a diaper rash up to my neck because I had not been taken care of for several days or several weeks. And so I was in and out of the hospital as a young child. One of the um, effects of that drug abuse was that I'm 100% deaf in my left ear, and um, I'm still believing for God to do a miracle. Uh, but there are some times that it's awkward that somebody will say something, and I don't quite know what they said. And so I have laughed sometimes because that's just like, it's just, you just kind of go, ha, 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 ha. And then Rachel punches me and says, they just said that's where their parents died. <laughs> that wasn't good. Uh, and so Ruth and Victor Campbell uh, decided to adopt me. And they had this weird thing because they were like, what a weird name, Israel. Like, you know, and they weren't Christians. And uh, it was kind of the hippie era, and they were just kind of like, that, that's, gonna, that, that's not a good, like, how did he get that name? Was his parents playing spin the globe, you know? Like, was I this close to being Lebanon? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I could have been Iraq, Campbell. Wouldn't that have been weird tonight? Uh, but it turned out okay, right? Israel. And um, Ruth and Victor Campbell were both on their second marriage, and my uh, mom who adopted me, Ruth, uh, Ruth and Victor adopted me, but they were a hot mess. They were on their second marriage, and they were fighting all the time. And my mom that adopted me, Ruth, actually bought a newspaper to find a place for me and her to move out on. And so she bought a newspaper to look in the classifieds to try to find an apartment to move out of the house. And as she was looking in the classifieds for a house to move out and get a divorce, there was an advertisement in the newspaper for a church. And she just thought, you know what? Let's go to church. And so she took me to church for the very first time. She had never been to church. I had never been to church. And she goes there and gets radically saved. I go there, and they have Sunday school class. And that Sunday, they were talking about the Israel lights. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get a free flashlight. This is amazing. <laughs> I was excited. And so um, I, I get I get radically saved, and uh, as a young kid, and just start going to Sunday school, learning about the love of Christ, my mom came home, and she says to Victor, she says, Victor, I went to church, I heard about Jesus, and I don't want a divorce, I want to make this marriage work, and my dad at the time just said, whatever, whatever, you know, just typical, just kind of like not interested, and so my mom would leave um, books and she would leave tracks all over the house. You remember those old school 70s tracks, right? Little pamphlets and like they were cartoon, but pretty much at the end you're going to hell, right? Uh, but my, my, my dad, the, my mom would leave out these books and my dad would do this. He'd, he'd mark on the table where the book was. And then he'd grab the book and he'd read it like this so that nobody knew he was reading about Jesus. And, and then he'd put it back and put it exactly where it was. And my mom would be so, so frustrated because she was praying, God, would you do something in Victor's life? But she'd come home and he was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> But I'll never forget the, sun, uh, the, the afternoon I came home from school and there were some people at our house, and my dad, who I'd never seen cry, was bawling. 
And I thought something was wrong, but it was weird because he was crying, but he had a smile on his face. And my mom was crying, and she had a smile on her face. And there were pastors from the church there that were crying, and they had a smile on their face. And um, it was that he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and, and probably <laughs> knew more about God than my mom did because he had actually read all the books, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so my dad, it wasn't just a, a decision for Christ. He went all out. In fact, he changed his job. I feel like it was a Thursday, and by Monday, he had enrolled in Bible college. And uh, he was at that time 40 years old. He was, uh, you know, not a young man. He was a little bit older, but he just said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go full out. And so what would normally take like four years of Bible school, I believe he uh, uh, did it in three years. And uh, after that, uh, he went and launched a church. And uh, we launched a church in the Seattle area. And my dad was very, very innovative and then also very thrifty. And so we had a van uh, that was his vehicle, but he wrapped it with the church name on it. And, uh, and so we had in the biggest level, Letters you've ever seen on a van it said Jesus is Lord and it had then our church name in very small letters victory in Christ Center and that was the van I got dropped off to high school and junior high with how many of you know I got no dates in the Jesus is Lord van? In fact, the thrifty part was because we were a church plant, um, our home telephone was also the church telephone. You guys remember the landline? Anybody remember the landline? And you remember the cord? You could take it from the kitchen all the way to the bedroom? Come on. And so I had to answer our home telephone telephone number like it was the church and I had to answer it and say Jesus is Lord it's a great day at victory in Christ victory in Christ Center this is Israel how can I help you I was I was raised to start a church wasn't I uh, and, and so, like, you don't give your number out to your friends, right? You don't give your number out to a girl. Man, you should call me, because she would call, and I'd be like, Jesus is Lord. Thank you for calling Victory in Christ Center. This is Israel. Can we go out on a date? <laughs> zero friends, zero girls. Amen. God knows how to keep you pure, right, one way or another. Um, and so the church began to grow, church began to thrive, and my dad would have these walks and these talks with me, and he'd begin to say, Israel, one day I believe God's going to call you into the ministry, and this church you're going to take over, and, and we're going we're gonna to reach the world, and we're going to see people saved. And I, my faith would grow up I, and, and, and enlarge, and I'd tell him, Dad, um, before I become a pastor, can I first play in the NFL, uh, which is our, 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 our kind of like your AFL. And if you look at me, you could go, there's no way he had a chance for that. But uh, I, I just loved it. I loved my dad. My dad um, loved the word of God. And if you've ever heard me preach, I, I pull out usually weird little verses and stories. And I get that from my dad because my dad did devotions every morning and he'd make me sit with him and do devotions with him. But he made me sit in their waterbed. Anybody remember the waterbeds? 
Do you, do you remember the waterbed and it had the wood frame and if you sat in it too fast, the person on the other side would be catapulted out the other way? I mean, there are still lost family members in waterbeds. Uh, and, and so my dad would make me sit still and if I even fidgeted, it would whoop, whoop, and he'd give me this look. And so I learned to read the Old Testament very slowly and very methodically and uh, had a great love for God. And um, my, uh, when I was 16 years old, my dad, who adopted me, Victor Campbell, uh, it was the day before his 50th birthday. And we actually had organized a surprise party. And we had all of his family coming from different parts of the United States. All the church was really excited about. We get to honor this guy that at 50. I mean, it would have been quite an amazing um, story from 40 getting saved, Bible college, to then planting a church and the church growing. And so the church was excited that it was his 50th birthday. And I had an uncle, my dad's um, brother, who wanted to, for his 50th birthday, take him kayaking down the Stillaguamish River in the Seattle, Washington area. We don't know exactly what happened, uh, but we, uh, the, the police and the uh, different people can kind of have a guess of it. But it looks like as they were going down the river, the kayak turned over. And at some point, it looks like my dad got out of the water and got to the side because they found shoes and they found toe prints that looks like he went back in for his brother who was probably struggling in the water. I, I was at home, and all of a sudden, the phone started ringing like crazy. And here's Israel. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Thank you for calling Victory in Christ Center. This is Israel. How can I help you? And they're like, do you know where your dad is? And I'm like, I have no idea where my dad is. Did he go up with, with his brother? I don't know where he is. He should be home by now. He's not home. Well, what happened is the police, the sheriff, everybody came to our house and said, your dad is missing. And so that night, um, all the church and all the family that was there for his 50th birthday, his surprise birthday party, actually went out into the woods. And we thought that somehow he, he must have gotten out of the water Dis, uh, you know, disoriented and was looking for help. And so um, my dad had this thing that I knew I was supposed to come home as he'd go outside. And uh, if I was out playing basketball with my friends or whatever, he'd go. <whistles> and that was uh, my, I would whistle back and I would head home. That's when I knew. And so I'll never forget 16 years old going through the woods and whistling. And not ever hearing a reply back. And we uh, walked all that night, came back the next day, whistled again, walked again, walked almost arm by arm, 100 people going through the woods. And, um, he wasn't there. They, uh, the divers had found him, and he had drowned in the river. And uh, our church, not just our family, but our church did not know what to do with it because he had been in the water for three days. 
And when he came out of the water, um, there were elders in our church that just immediately prayed and just was like, God, you know, bring him back from the dead. And they actually gave him mouth-to-mouth CPR, just praying for a miracle because it was like at this early church plant, everything that had been done so far was miracles. And we just didn't know how to handle tragedy. And we didn't know how to handle, but we're people of faith. I mean, we have a van that says Jesus is Lord. And we answer the phone that way. And we just, the church couldn't handle it. And, um, you know, by God's grace, um, there was a pastor in another church that's very, uh, a leader in that state, that city, that nation. He had an associate pastor who came in and, um, you know, they helped our family. They did everything that they could for the church. And it ended up being one of those things where, you know, I was 16, so I definitely wasn't old enough to become the pastor. We didn't really have anybody on staff. And so uh, there was this pastor that had an associate, and that associate came over and took over our church. And uh, I feel bad for that guy because um, those are some big shoes to fill when the founder of the church dies tragically and the founder was so charismatic and had a, such a testimony of God's grace. And, uh, you know, it, we gave him everything. Our, we gave him uh, the Jesus is Lord van, and he traded it in for a Honda. Come on. He was, <laughs> he, uh, we gave him, um, you know, the, the offices, the, everything that we wouldn't go on vacation for because we wanted to build God's house. We just gave to this man and his family and just was like, hey, we just, we believe this work is supposed to continue. And uh, for about two years, it really did, um, it, 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 it started to go well. We started to be healed. We started to, you know, say, okay, God, you're good. Uh, even when you don't sometimes see it, come on, you just con- you continue to declare, come on, you are good, right? And, um, but at 18, this pastor got up to the congregation, just like I am talking to you tonight, and came up to my dad's old church, our church, and he told the church that um, God had told him to marry his secretary and that his secretary was supposed to marry his wife. Uh, And so it was wife swap before the TV show. Uh, And the, the bummer deal about that is the next week, how many of you know, nobody came to that church, right? Uh, nobody, nobody was like, uh, I'm not going to let that happen to my wife, right? Uh, there were a few, a few that were like, could I trade up? But, you know, those, those guys, uh, they, they didn't last long. But uh, uh, my, my inheritance, my inheritance that was promised to me, that was told to me, was destroyed like this. And I remember being so mad, not necessarily at God, but I just didn't really like God's people too much. And just was like, you know what, God, I like you, but church, this is messed up. My dad dies. This knucklehead, this jack wagon has messed up (laughs) the entire church. And uh, I just actually just decided... um, I had been at that time probably that squeaky clean kid. A lot of it had to do with the Jesus is Lord van, right? Getting dropped off on that. Can't really party too much with that, right? But I was one of those kids that had not done anything. In about, a, in about 24 hours or 48 hours, 
I just began to self-destruct. And the list of things that I had said I would never do, I just in immediate just was checked off. And it was like the enemy brought shame and said, well, you messed up there, you might as well mess up here. You messed up there, you might as well mess up here. And I, um, I, I turned into a very destructive, a very selfish, a very depressed, a very um, messed up teenager. And um, I, I just, I, I just uh, my poor mom, she loses her husband, and then the next thing you know, she's losing her son because I just went crazy. And I'll never forget, I was working, going to school and working, and a guy came up to me and said, Israel, would you come to church with me? Because you're a hot mess and you need Jesus. And I was so offended <laughs> because I was like, I know more about the Bible than you do. I mean, come on, my name's Israel. <laughs> and uh, he was like, you, you're one of the most messed up people I know, and you need Jesus. And I just was like, wow. Kind of took a look at my life and went, man, I am messed up. And it was a Sunday night service, just like you're having. And um, pastors, I'm so thankful. You could have, you, you had 12, whatever, 10, 11 services th this weekend and this was one more service. You could have just been like, hey, man, we've, we've had enough. How many of you thankful for your pastors to create an atmosphere for tonight where God to show up? And um, that's what happened. So what happened to me is uh, I went to a Sunday night service just like this. Incredible praise and worship like you guys have. Incredible pastors. And I was in the very back, very back of the auditorium. And the pastor said, if there's anybody here that needs to rededicate their life, is there anybody here that needs to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior? And I, I think it was one of those altar calls where he just said to raise your hand, but I didn't raise my hand. I actually came from the back and just came up to the altar and uh, surrendered my life to God. And immediately the depression, immediately the suicidal thoughts, immediately the two years of pain and the two years of not liking. God's house immediately like this dissipated and I was radically changed from that moment on and um, just like my dad just like my dad I immediately got involved in middle school uh, in, in Bible school and and began serving in our middle school department um, I told uh, the young adults this I went to every single meeting the church had if the church doors were open, I was there. If it was for uh, newly divorced couples, I was there. Uh, if it was for single moms, I was there. Uh, drug addicts, I was there. Uh, uh, choir, I went. That was the only one they kicked me out of because they heard my voice and said, when I sing, actually demons rejoice. Uh, and so, uh, but I, I just, I went to everything. And God changed my life, and I met a girl, like I talked about on Sunday morning, named Rachel Smith, who was dating somebody else. We, we started sharing stories, and Rachel's dad had been um, addicted to drugs and had abused their family physically. And uh, she had seen things done at church wrong one Sunday morning. She went 
to church and the doors of the church locks had been changed because they didn't like the change that their parents had been bringing to this old church. And so they just said, we don't want you anymore. Rachel was there to lead worship and just was kind of, in a sense, just was like, man, I'm done with, um, I love God, but I'm done with his people. And we both meet in Bible college and we start talking and we're like, yeah, I'm never going to be in ministry, but I'm just serving God. <laughs> and uh, how many of you know you start sharing that story, and then all of a sudden God begins to give you a heart for God's house. And, uh, and so uh, I had some messed up family issues. I've been abandoned. I've had tragedy. And then I faced church games or um, messed up churchiology, I guess I'll call it, uh, where the pastor said wife swap just is not very good. And um, it's interesting that our relationships with our dads can actually sometimes, uh, if it's not healthy, it can affect our relationship with our heavenly father. And we can begin to almost impose what's happened to us in the natural, what's happened to God, uh, or our relationship with God. And so Rachel and I, you know, um, get married, have three kids, pastor uh, in different areas and regions of the United States. And it seemed like everything was going really well. In fact, uh, many of you have heard the story that we had two campuses in North Carolina and uh, really felt for the longest time. Uh, in fact, when we met your pastors, we used to talk about that we felt called to Los Angeles and the West Coast and didn't know how that was going to work or what that looked like. And they actually had prayed for us. They actually, there were some things that we thought maybe we could do this. And they're like, no, that would not be wise. And thank God for their wisdom in those areas. But we moved to Los Angeles by faith. And it's, and we were in our 40s. And you would think think that by then we'd have everything together you think that you know all those issues of abandonment all those issues of tragedy all those issues of dysfunction would be healed but it's it's interesting in life sometimes you don't know what your next season is and you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what you've buried and the things that you haven't actually gotten healed of and so Rachel and I, we move and we're unpacking our boxes and we're talking about this next new season in L.A. And we find out that the person that we were going to have on staff for pastoral care was Rachel's mom. And she had looked like we had thought that she had victory over cancer. But um, we got a phone call that said, you need to rush up to Seattle because that next week, the week after we moved to Los Angeles, her mom passed away. And in a period of just about three years, Rachel lost her mom, her dad, two of her sisters, and her, her grandmother and grandfather in just a period of just three years. It was Job-esque. And then me, right the week we are planting the church, I get a Facebook message from somebody called, last name was Schwingdorf. That's a weird name, right? And um, 
I guess that's why me and your pastor maybe look alike, is I was adopted by the, I was actually my biological parents, their names, my grandparents' names was Schwindorf. I am from Germany. Me and you are from the motherland. Tonight, let's go have Wiener Schnitzel. Uh, and I got this, I got this Facebook message from Candy Schwingdorf. And she said, Israel, you don't know me, but I am your biological mother's sister. And I'm so sorry to tell you, but your mom has just passed away. And when we moved to LA, I kind of, I don't know if you've ever had those daydreams, but I had those, like, I had that vision of me preaching. And those of you who know, like, I love to preach. I feel like I'm like, I feel like a black man is trapped inside of me and just wants, and I just, I want to preach. And I had this, I had this vision of me preaching, like, you know, like Bishop Jakes, come on, woman, thou art loosed. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I just had a picture in my mind that my biological mom would get saved in one of our services, right? And we'd have that Oprah moment, right, where we'd be crying, ah, and uh, one for you, one for you, one for you. Yes. And, um, and um, they said, uh, we're sorry to tell you that she died, and what's weird is we've been following you on Facebook. What, really what she wanted to say is she's been stalking us, right? Uh, and she said, um, you live in Redondo Beach. And what's weird is her body is at the morgue in Redondo Beach. And it was like this weird emotion of so close, yet so far away. And then the weirdest thing happened. They asked me if I could do her funeral. Now, that may not seem weird to you, but to do a funeral for the mom that abandoned you that you never met is a lot of awkwardness altogether. And so they asked me to do the funeral. And the first time I meet my mom, is the casket that she is in, and I'm doing the funeral for people I have never met. And it was so awkward because people afterwards would come up to me and go, I didn't even know that, that Diane had a son, which isn't a great uh, builder of your confidence, right? <laughs> and so she's like saying, we didn't even know you existed. I'm like, oh, awesome, I'm here. <laughs> and um, it was the weirdest emotions because as I began to talk to the family about what do I say at this funeral and wanting to know more about the person I'm doing the funeral for, wanting to know more about my mom, I find out things that she had a Facebook. She had a car. She could have at any moment reached out to us and our kids. And I'm like looking at my kids and looking at my wife going, we're not that bad to reach out to. And hurt and pain 
begin to rise up that I thought I had dealt with 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I began to get depressed again. And I began to be like, she didn't even, she had, a, she had Facebook? I mean, I'm not MySpace. She had Facebook. <laughs> and she didn't reach out. And Rachel just began to say, Israel, you don't know the shame that she felt. And, and the shame was so great that she couldn't even take that step. And so I did the funeral. I got up there, talked about God's grace, talked about that, um, uh, you know, look at the decisions that she did make that was right. I'm alive. Made the decision to, to in a sense, um, uh, to let me get adopted. And here we are today. And I did an altar call that day with family members I've never met. People I had never seen. The Schwindorfs. <laughs> and hands started going up. And hearts started to be changed. And it was like I was born for such a time as this. I may not have got to meet my mom, but her entire family got to get saved because of that divine appointment. <clears throat> and afterwards, and afterwards, this gentleman comes up to me, and his name was James. And James said, hey, James, uh, Israel, I'm actually your brother. Uh, I was born 10 years after you, but I wasn't as lucky as you. I didn't, get a, I didn't get adopted. I was actually in the foster system. And uh, my life has been a hot mess. And if you looked at James and you looked at me, even though I was 10 years older, you would actually think that I was 10 years younger. And it's not because I eat kale and have had Botox, right? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was because of the grace of God. And the harshness that he's had to live and the difference of God's grace on our life. And uh, I just begin to go on a journey and I begin to look at that I have a choice. I have a choice to be a victim or I have a choice to be a victor. And David had 20 sons. David, King David, the greatest warrior King David, the greatest worship leader. King David, the greatest uh, uh, builder of whether you want to talk about David's tabernacle or how he orchestrated and organized Solomon's temple. He was one of the greatest military uh, strategists. He was a man that we have all of the Psalms of. He's this great man that we see his life in. And we see his sons and we see the choices that they got to make. And as the worship team just comes up here, I want to close tonight. Um, I know that I told you a lot of stuff about my story. And some of you were like, I came to church tonight. I, I thought he was going to preach. I was hoping for some ha And uh, I only did it right then. Sorry. Uh, but uh, I felt so strongly tonight. Rachel and I had been talking. And Rachel and I had been praying for this meeting. And uh, we just felt like that there were some of you tonight just like David's sons that have great potential, great future, great destiny. But the choice is actually yours on what and how are you going to respond. 
How are you going to respond to pain? How are you going to respond to abandonment? How are you going to respond to tragedy? How are you going to respond to knuckleheads? <laughs> How are you going to respond? And David's children had the opportunity to respond right. But every single son we see, we keep on seeing them choose wrong. Even Solomon started out right, but his end was a hot mess. But in the New Testament, we hear about another son of David. And it's actually blind Bartimaeus who hears that Jesus from Nazareth is walking down the road. And he has had a pretty messed up past. In fact, if you read the story about blind Bartimaeus and you look at the word Timaeus and blind, it actually says this. Most theologians believe that Bartimaeus was the blind son of Timaeus. It was the, and Timaeus was also blind. There was a family curse and dysfunction of blindness and it was just a legacy that not only was Bartimaeus blind, most theologians believe that the way his name is named is actually a result that his also his father was blind and here is a generational cycle that is not good it's a cycle that could not see their future cannot see their purpose and cannot see their destiny they have to feel everything and be led but all of a sudden Timaeus bar Timaeus son of Timaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is walking down the road and what does he say he says something so powerful he says son of David have mercy on me and I'm here to tell you that yes there is a son of David that made the right choice there is a son of David that actually went further than David could go and his name is Jesus and that day there was a generational curse that was broken that day there was healing that day there was transformation and the Bible Bible says who the sun sets free is free indeed and I believe we came all the way from Los Angeles to tell somebody that you do not have to be the victim come on you do not have to be hurt and that God can do something miraculous tonight and I don't know who you are and I don't know what you face but the Bible says that all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God God. If you've been jacked up at one time in your life and you've had some kind of pain and you've had some kind of turmoil, many times it keeps us from experiencing everything that God has for us. And somehow we think our abandonment, somehow God abandoned us. But can I tell you, I should be one messed up person. Most of you listening to my testimony were like, man, that guy needs some help. But can I tell you something? God supernatural naturally can heal. God supernaturally can what 12 years of what therapy could only help a little, God can do tonight. And I don't think that you're here by accident. I believe that tonight is a night that you're going to get healed. I believe tonight is a night you're going to leave this place whole and anything that is missing and anything that is in your past that has not been dealt with, God wants to have a moment with you. God
God wants to have a moment with me, and we're going to leave this place transformed, and we're going to leave this place changed in the name of Jesus. Come on, do you believe it tonight? Would you stand with me? Come on, would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Turn to the person on your left. Turn to the person on your right and say, hey. Come on, say, hey. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, hey. God wants you healed. I want you to prophesy to them and say, God wants you healed. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and say, God wants you healed. an emotional person. Rachel knows that. She, she was so mad at me because I, uh, I didn't cry at our wedding. Next time, not next time, that doesn't sound right. When we renew our vows, I'll eat an onion. Hallelujah. disappointment of whistling and no response back devastated a 16 year old and I don't know your whistle I don't know what has hurt you what has scarred you, but I do know a Savior that wants to heal and wants to make you whole. And we can't go back. I wish we could go back and fix some stuff, but we can't. But what we can do is actually look into the future and say he's the author and the finisher of my faith. And my chapter is not over. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.